Uh, what I want to talk to you about tonight is, is uh, about the fact that Jesus is both divine and human. The fact that Jesus is both God and man and that that is the central truth of Christmas. The central truth of Christmas is about the fact that Jesus is both God and man. And that Christmas was when God became man. And um, as we get into this tonight, first of all, it's, it's pivotal for us to realize that it's not just important for us to quote unquote believe in Jesus. There's lots of people that say, yeah, I believe in Jesus. But the question is, what do you believe about him? <laughs> yeah, that separates the men from the boys and the, the ladies from the girls. You know what I'm saying? We must believe what the scriptures teach us to believe about. Otherwise, we might just be believing whatever our idea is about them, rather than specifically what the Bible says about him and what the Bible says we are to believe about him. And as always, when you approach the Bible, you, you, you don't go beliefs first and Bible second. You always go Bible first and belief second. You know, as Christians who believe the Holy Bible, what, what, what you do is you don't adjust the Bible to your beliefs. You adjust your beliefs to the Bible. Because if you're going to come with your beliefs first and then look to take the book and adjust it to you, you'll get the book saying any kind of weird thing you think. And, and, and you can make it say anything you want it to say. But to, to do this the right way before God, and with honest, honesty and integrity before him, it's the book first and the belief second. And we adjust to him. Because he's God and he's perfect, so he don't need to adjust. So if there's any adjusting that is going on, that's on our part. Amen. Uh, we're going to answer five questions tonight as we dig into this. First of all, about Jesus, where did he come from? Number two, who did he become? Number three, why is what I believe about him so important? Number four, why did he come? And number five, who was his coming for? Who did he come for? Once again, number one, where did he come from? Number two, who did he become? Number three, why is what I believe about him so important? Number four, why did he come? And number five, who was his coming for? Who did he come for? Now, uh, you open to two openings, but we'll read Micah chapter 5 first, and then go to uh, John 17. So whether you got your Bible or you got version, your version app going on, however you get your scriptures, you can go with the flow with us here tonight. Micah chapter 5 verse 2 says, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrata, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. Now this here is a prophecy spoken by the prophet Micah, years in advance of the coming of Jesus to the earth, and predicting that the one who is to be ruler over all Israel was going to be born in the little town of Bethlehem. And that this one... He's been around for a while. 
So he's not just showing up. This is not like, you know, when, when you and I were born, we just showed up, you know. We were conceived, and then nine months later, we were born, we showed up. In the case of Jesus, you need to understand, Christmas was not when Jesus showed up. This verse is actually telling us that the one who showed up on the first Christmas morning was already around for a long time. You want to know how long? Eternity passed. Now, eternity always makes your mind go tilt. You, you, you see, we, we, with our limited minds, we can't think in terms of eternity. But the Bible just clearly spells out here that this baby Jesus who was born, he didn't just show up the day he was born. He didn't just show up when he was conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary. He was around long, 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 infinitely long before that day ever occurred from everlasting. Now, I know that'll make your brain hurt, but that's what the book says. All right. Now, John 17, let's check this out. Where did he come from? So we see this, that his origins go way back. His origins actually did not originate. <laughs> did anybody get that? Because when you just always been, you didn't originate. Come on now. John 17, look at verse 5. Jesus says this, and now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. You know, we're building this a little bit more. You got Jesus making the statement that he had something with the Father that he had with him before the world ever was, prior to creation as we know it. Jesus was with the Father and he had a glory that he shared with the Father before the world ever was. Now that you're in John, let's go to a few other places in John. Uh, go to the 16th chapter, right behind chapter 17, verse 27 and 28. And the scripture says this, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me. And have believed that I came forth from God. I came forth from the Father and have come into the world. Again, I leave the world and go to the Father. It's clear that Jesus is saying he came from somewhere. Where did he come from? He was with God. He came from Father God himself. And it's important for us as believers to be once again, um, shall I say, reestablished in what's called good sound doctrine, the, the basics, the elementaries of Christ. Because the enemy's attempt in the day we live in is very subtle. And uh, he'll give you things that will sound good and sound right and you know, just, just enough, enough to taste good. It's, it's kind of like the dog that got poisoned. You know, it wasn't a bowl of arsenic. Someone stuck some arsenic in the juicy steak. Come on. So the, the enemy's attempt to fool people and to deceive people in the day we're living in is not by giving you a bowl of spiritual arsenic. 
but he's wanting to give you something that tastes good enough to get you to eat it, and yet there's some poison inside that's going to hurt you. That's why, more than ever before, we as believers need to be very firmly established in the very basics, the foundations of our faith. And be strong in those foundations, because when you're strong in those foundations, if something comes around that's even off just a little bit, you can smell it a mile away, and you can know that's not right, and you won't fall for it because you're firmly established in what the truth really is. And so we need to be firmly established in uh, what the Scripture teaches regarding Jesus and how pivotal this is. And his, the, the, the fact that Jesus actually existed before he was here on this earth. We see uh, John chapter 13. If you go back a few more chapters, you'll be able to see this for yourself. John 13 and verse 3. This was just at the end of the, uh, what, what we know as the Last Supper. And uh, these words were uttered by the writer of the gospel. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God. So I think we see a theme here that Jesus did not just show up. Jesus was already long in existence before that day in the town of Bethlehem when he was born here on this earth. You know, uh, the scripture says lots of things along this line. Uh, John chapter 3 verse 17 says that the God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Which the implication there is Jesus got sent. So obviously he existed and was put on a mission. And the mission was to come here and save the likes of us. And I'm glad about that because I needed some saving. Let me tell you, Lord, help us. I know I'm not the only one. Come on. Feedback. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Y'all want to look like you're extra holy tonight or something. <laughs> so John 3, uh, also in that same chapter in verse 31, we see words of John the Baptist that were spoken. That he who comes from above is above all. He who comes from heaven is above all. He identified Jesus as the one who came from above. He identified Jesus uh, earlier in John chapter 1 when Jesus came to John to be baptized. John identified him as being before him. Now, now if, if you go to the Gospel of Luke and check it out, you say, wait a minute, Elizabeth, John's mother, got pregnant first before Mary was pregnant. So, John, what's, what's up with your math here? Because you, you were conceived first and then Mary, but you're saying about this Jesus that he was before you because John had enough spiritual sense to realize that this was not just another ordinary man. This was God who became man and that he existed before he existed. I love the words of Jesus over in John chapter 8, verse 58. Uh, prior to that, they're, uh, they're getting into a little discussion, Jesus and the religious leaders of the day. <laughs> yeah, that's always fun. Uh, and uh, th they said, wait a minute, 
You're not even 50 years old yet. And are you insinuating that you've seen Abraham? And Jesus said in John 8, verse 58, before Abraham was, I am. Now notice that. He didn't say before Abraham was, I was. He said before Abraham was, I am. Well, you, you, that may not sound like good English to you, but, but Jesus was definitely using his words purposefully. Because he was identifying himself as, I am. Like when Moses was there in front of a burning bush one day. And he heard God Almighty speak to him out of that burning bush and give him his mission to go and deliver the people of Israel from their bondage. And he said, who should I say sent me? And God said, you tell him I am that I am have sent you. And so Jesus certainly stirred up some, some heat with these religious guys when he said, before Abraham was, I am. You just don't throw the words I am around in, 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 in these quarters here. But Jesus could say that and say that confidently because he is. He was not embellishing. He was not stretching the truth. He was being as accurate as can be and letting them know the truth about who he was. Before Abraham was, I am. I just love it. Right there in that same chapter, Jesus said, I am from above. He said, I am not of this world. You know, when he stood before Pilate, he said, my kingdom is not of this world. You know, um, it's... Uh, amazing. When, when you just look through the scripture, it is so crystal clear and there's so much scripture that you can compile together that just says the same thing. So we, we declare this tonight. Where did he come from? He came from the Father. He was around since eternity past. Jesus was already existing before Christmas morning. Christmas morning was the start of him not just being God, because he already was God, but that was the start of him being the God-man. Now, that's going to lead us into what we're going to talk about next, which is who did he become? This Jesus who existed prior to Christmas morning, this Jesus who what we've read tonight was eternally in existence, was with the Father. What did he become? Who did he become here when he came here to the earth? And John chapter 1, if you would go there, I think you're still in John, so you should be able to find it pretty easily. John chapter 1. And I'm giving you some meat and taters, but I'm giving you some meat and taters for a very definitive purpose tonight. John chapter 1, look at verse 1. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was nothing made that was made. 
So here, talking about this word, he was around in the beginning, he was with God, and he was God, clearly signifying what we would know as the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. He was with God, and he was God. He was with God, and he was God. He was with God the Father, he was with God the Holy Ghost, and he was God, because this is talking about God the Son. And through him, all things got made. Now, if you know a little bit about Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so it's telling me that this word created all things. So this word, obviously, is God. Now, look at the 14th verse of this chapter. John 1, verse 14. And it says there, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Just think about that. That the word, who we know to be God, specifically God the Son, became flesh. That's what happened. On the first Christmas day. And I'm glad about it. Let me tell you. So who did he become? He became one of us. But the beautiful thing about it. That we celebrate. Is that he became one of us. And yet was able to circumvent being messed up. With the same mess that we were messed up with. Are you with me? He became one of us, but he wasn't infected because he was not having uh, the, the, the same spiritual DNA inside of him that the first Adam had. And he fell into sin and therefore subsequently the, the rest of the human race went along with him. But Jesus is identified separately from the first Adam because Jesus is known as the last Adam. And the beautiful thing about it is this, is that the first Adam in the Garden of Eden had a chance to do it right or do it wrong. He did it wrong and messed up the whole human race. Jesus, as the last Adam, had a choice to do it right or do it wrong. He did it right and saved the whole human race. Mm, mm, mm. Come on. I'm going to get my move on here tonight. Yeah. Hallelujah. All right. Now, We see Isaiah prophesying over in chapter 7, verse 14 of his book about this virgin who would conceive and and bear a son called Emmanuel. Matthew chapter 1, Matthew lays out that this was fulfilled when when Mary became pregnant with the Lord Jesus Christ and and gave birth. And and the scripture says that, that it was fulfilled over in Matthew 1, 22 and 23. It was fulfilled what was spoken by Isaiah the prophet when he said that, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. And then he defines this name, Emmanuel, and, and what it means. God with us. That Jesus is God with us. God with us. God having become 
one of us. Isaiah also prophesied uh, an amazing prophecy, chapter 9, verse 6 of his book, where he said, For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. So he's talking about this child to be born. And when he describes who this child is, one of his descriptive terms for who this child who was born is, is mighty God. My, my, my. And then we see all through, through the scripture the, the, the awesome uh, uh, revelation of the fact that you've got God and man in this very person, the Lord Jesus Christ. God and man, perfect man, and yet not out of touch. For the Bible describes Jesus' experience as this, that he was touched with the feeling of our infirmities, which means Jesus knew what it was like to deal with the things that we got to deal with. It's clear that Jesus knew what it was like to be tempted. And let me tell you this. You don't get tempted to do things you don't want to do. You get tempted to do things you do want to do. So there were things that Jesus was tempted with. For instance, the idea of eating bread after you don't eat bread for 40 days, that'd be something you'd want to do. Some of y'all wouldn't last 40 minutes. Come on. Jesus did this for 40 days. So, so we see Jesus uh, as a man feeling what we felt, dealing with what we dealt with. And yet the thing that took us down and the thing that took down the first Adam never took him down. That's why he's exceptional and there's none other like him. That's why he's in a class by himself. Hallelujah. Colossians reveals this. He's the image of the invisible God. The, the Bible says that, that uh, in the Amplified, calls him the visible representation of the invisible. See, you, we've never seen God, but when Jesus walked the earth, he was the visible that revealed to us what the invisible was like. We had never seen the invisible God. We, we, had, we, we had never got to... to personally see him in action. But then when Jesus was here on the earth, he said, you want to know what the father's like, take a look at me. If you want to know what he'd say, listen to my words. If you want to know what he'd do in this situation, watch what I'm doing because I'm just doing what he'd do. I didn't come to do my own works, my own thing. I'm doing the works of him that sent me. How wonderful. To think that this was part of a plan. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 5, uttering words that Jesus would have uttered. Think about this. He said, a body you have prepared for me. Think about the fact that this was a plan. This was not just something that was whipped up together, but that God very purposefully and very intentionally had a plan to send his son. As a matter of fact, think about this, that, 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 that this was not just 
something that took God by surprise or, you know, when, when the Garden of Eden went wrong, you thought, oh boy, what are we going to do about this? The Bible describes Jesus as being the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. This was just part of the plan. There was preparation for this. A body you have prepared for me. What an awesome thought. The Bible declares over in 1 Timothy 3.16 what is called the mystery of godliness. And, and, and really what, what it is, it's a nice, clear-cut, uh, bullet-point confession of our faith. And it starts off by saying, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. And number one bullet point was that God was manifested in the flesh. You know, the scripture shows us over in Hebrews, and this is awesome, that, that, that Jesus partook of flesh and blood so that through death he may destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. So, so we see over and over the, 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 the constant laying out in the scripture that he's not just God who once uh, was with the Father and eternally existed prior to his coming. But when he came here, he continued to be God, but then he became man. And how important is that? You're about to find out. We know over in Philippians 2, the, the teaching that, that Paul gave when he talked about the Lord Jesus, that he was in the form of God and that he ultimately made himself of no reputation, but he took uh, the form of a bondservant and he came here in the likeness of men. So he is in the form of God, but he came here in the likeness of men. He was in the form of God, but came in the likeness of men. He's God. And yet he came here, and when you would look at him, you want to see a halo? You want to see any bright light that distinguished him from everybody else and anybody else? Because if there was, you, you think that some of those religious guys that ultimately did, uh, uh, did, did the unthinkable and crucified the Lord of glory, you know, if, if he had light shining out of him, they might have had more of a clue. But they were blinded and did not see and did not realize who this was. Think about it. You've got God Almighty here on planet Earth in a human body. And people did not recognize him. John 1 utters some of the saddest words in Scripture. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. Think about this. Not received. Not recognized. Think about the ones who were his judges during the time of his passion, crucifixion. Imagine the judge of all the earth being judged by you and you not even recognizing and knowing who's right there in front of you. My Lord. But he came. 
He walked among us. God was here on planet earth in the human body of the Lord Jesus Christ. All God and all man. And I want you to know that today, this very day, Jesus was crucified. He rose from the dead. He ascended up to heaven to sit on the right hand of the Father. But I want you to know that even to this very day and throughout all eternity, Jesus will continue to be man. All God and all man. 100% God and 100% man. He is absolutely going to continue for the duration of time as man. The scripture tells us in 1 Timothy 2.5 that there is one God and one mediator between God and man. The man, Christ Jesus. Look it up for yourself. 1 Timothy 2.5. That very one who is bridging the gap between us and God. That very one who, who could stand between fallen man and a holy God is the God-man himself. And he's bridging the gap. He's God, so he knows what the Lord requires. He knows what the Lord's looking for. And he was able to meet the requirement of what the Lord was looking for. But yet at the same time, he's man and he knows what it's like to be a man. He knows what it's like to suffer as mankind would suffer, to be tempted as mankind would suffer, to deal with the stuff of a fallen world as any man and woman living in this fallen world would have to do. The perfect candidate to bridge the gap, the mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. Now, why is what I believe about him so important? This is all nice. This is like a, a little catechism, you know, class, you know. We're getting our basic meat and taters. That's all nice, Pastor Ray. I've all heard that all before. Why is it so important? Well, first of all, let me tell you this. Jesus threw out a question to his followers one day. He said, who do people say that I am? And there was a variety of answers. You can find this over in Matthew, the 16th chapter. The variety of answers. Well, so some say you're John the Baptist, come back to life. Uh, some say you're Elijah. Some say you're Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And then Jesus kind of narrowed it down. And he asked them the question that he asked everybody, which is this. Who do you say that I am? Peter correctly answered. He said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. To which Jesus commended him and made it clear that it was not flesh and blood that revealed that to him. It was the father who revealed that to him. And on that very foundation, the church is built. On that very foundation of the recognition of who Jesus is. So if you believe in Jesus 
quote unquote. But you believe something different than that. Then you are not believing what is true and accurate about Jesus. Now, there's lots of lovely people in the world that would say that Jesus was a good man and a good prophet. But that is not, that is not what you must believe about Jesus in order to inherit eternal life. If you're going to go ahead and take his own word seriously and believe what he said about himself, then you can't say well, I believe that Jesus was this, a, a good man. Because right, right away, Jesus called himself more than a good man. Jesus called himself more than that, so we don't have that luxury to try to play around with that. Because, you see, if Jesus identified himself as being more than a good man, and I were to say, yeah, Jesus is just simply a good man and nothing more, then, then, then my, my argument is therefore flawed right off the bat because I'm saying something about Jesus. Uh, uh, well, I'm insinuating that what Jesus said about himself was not the truth. And if he's going around telling everybody to believe something about him that is not the truth, I would not call him a good man. So therefore... In order to really believe in Jesus, you just can't come up with a fashionable, politically correct way of saying, I believe in Jesus. You got to believe in Jesus the way Jesus said to believe in him. Otherwise, you're just trying to come up with something that tries to make you feel like you're in the category of believer when technically you are not unless you believe in what he told you to believe about him. Go to 1 John. 1 John chapter 4, and uh, 2 John, we'll go there as well, but we'll go to 1 John first. Oh, yeah. I know it's a cold December Wednesday night. Y'all better not be sleeping on me, because I'll find you. <laughs> First John, chapter 4. All right. Why is what I believe about him so important? First John 4, verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. You want to know what the Spirit of God? You want to know what the Spirit of God is and what he's not? What the Spirit of God would say and what he wouldn't say? This is how you know. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. 
Now, stay there for a minute and just flip a page. Second John chapter 1, only one chapter there anyway. Second John, look at verse 7 through 9. He says this, For many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Look to yourselves that we do not lose those things we worked for, but that we may receive a full reward. Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. Now back to 1 John 4, the first one that we read here. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. Every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. This is how you know what the spirit of God is and uh, what he's not, who he is and who he's not. Now, this is interesting because this is really a reference to both his divinity, the fact that he's God, and the fact that he's man. Are you with me? Because it just doesn't say that Jesus is in the flesh. It says that Jesus has come in the flesh. So that word come signifies that he came from somewhere before he moved into flesh. Which is him pre-existing in eternity past with God the Father. That's the acknowledgement of his Godhead, his, his divinity. And come in the flesh is obviously his humanity. But that word come, in this case, is a very big word because that lets us know that the fact that he's come in the flesh means that there was a time when he existed without flesh, but nevertheless still existed. But ever since Christmas morning, he's existed as God and man. Hallelujah. And this is very, very pivotal because if you don't believe this, the Bible says that uh, any spirit other than that is a spirit of Antichrist. And uh, and of course, uh, with rumblings of the the last days, the the end of time, which it's more than rumblings, I mean... (laughs) Lord, help us. If Peter on the day of Pentecost, right after the resurrection of Jesus, called that the last days, I'd have to say if those were last days, we're in the last of the last. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) However, if you don't want to be deceived in this time that we live in and get sucked into the spirit of Antichrist, What's the number one thing that you need to be up on? What you believe about Jesus. There can be no compromise, no bending, no no tweaking of that. You need to believe just what the book says about him. He's all God and he's all man. He's God who came in the flesh. 
Second John, what we read there. That deceivers have gone out into the world that aren't confessing that. They're saying something else about Jesus Christ other than the fact that he came in the flesh. Well, anybody saying anything else? That's a deceiver and an antichrist. Verse 9 of 2 John 1 talks about abiding in the doctrine of Christ. What is the doctrine of Christ? It's the teaching of Christ. It's the clear statement of who he is and what he's done. There can be no messing around with the clear doctrine of Christ. There's some things that aren't matters of heaven or hell, lost or saved. Believers don't agree on every single point of doctrine. Have you figured that out? Oh, yeah. But this is something that is absolutely positively non-negotiable when it comes to being a real believer in the Lord Jesus. And the Bible makes that crystal clear. And that is why what you believe about him is so important. Because if you believe your own concoction or someone else's concoction about him, rather than what the book tells you to believe about him, then you are being fooled. And thank the Lord, the truth will set us free and keep us from being fooled. Amen. Why did he come? What did he say about the clear purpose for his coming to this earth? Let me read some of these to you. It's beautiful. Matthew 18, 11. The Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. Yeah, I was one of those. I'm glad he saved me. And if you are looking at your life tonight and you say, well, that's the category I'm in. I'm lost and I need saving. Well, guess what? You can experience some saving in this place tonight. Luke 9:56 The Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives. Well, why did he come? He came to save them. Hebrews 9:26 says that he has appeared that Jesus has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Think about it. He was born to die. But he did not stay dead. You see, he needed to die, but he did not stay dead. As a matter of fact, you know this when you're, uh, you're uh, in somebody's will, in order for you to get the benefit of their will, somebody's got to die. That person has to die for you to get the benefit of their will. Well, I want you to know that what Jesus left for you, he, he died so you could get your inheritance. And then he rose from the dead to make sure you got everything that was coming to you. Mm, hallelujah. And the Bible actually calls him your advocate. He's your lawyer. Come on now. That's a good deal, y'all. I mean, you know when you're in the courtroom and your father is the judge and your big brother is the lawyer? Hey, you, you got it going on. You, it's fixed. I'm glad it's fixed. Let me tell you another thing 
that Jesus came to do. His very own words in John 10, 10, where he drew the line between what the devil does and what the Lord does. The thief would come to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come. I came from there to here for this purpose, that you would have life and that you'd have it more abundantly. And I love the words uh, that, that are spoken in Hebrews 10 of Jesus. That when he came, he said, I have come to do your will, O God. You want to know why he came? That's why he came. He came to do the will of the Father, which is clear to me that if he came to do the will of the Father, it was the will of the Father for us to be saved. If he came to do the will of the Father, it was the will of the Father for us to have life and life more abundantly. Last question to answer tonight. Who was his coming for? He came from heaven to earth. He's the God-man. He's our mediator. Who's it for? And this is so beautiful to really get in the heart of this message and really ultimately the heart of what Christmas is all about. Go to the Gospel of Luke in chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. Oh, yeah, we're about to wrap this up in just a few minutes. And we're going to wrap up strong. Hallelujah. Who's this for? Let's look at the very announcement of the Savior's birth, the very announcement of what happened on the night when God moved in to a little human body. Luke chapter 2, verse 9 through 11. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. These are talking about the shepherds. And then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. When this announcement was made, this announcement was made not in a way that this was for a select few. This announcement was clearly made by the messengers of God, his own angels, that this was for everybody. That this baby, that God Almighty coming into the flesh of that little baby boy. This was for everybody. This is to all people. I love this message. Especially in a day of divisiveness that we live in today. Because the real message of Christmas and the real message of the gospel, it finds us all having a commonality together 
rather than distinguishing differences. It helps us find our commonality. That if this little baby was born and that this news is great joy to all people, that means we're all in the same fix. We all have the same basic problem, which is sin. We can't save ourselves and we need a savior. And it just cuts through everything else that doesn't matter and amount to a hill of beans and gets right down to the real problem of humanity. And I love what the Lord said to Abraham. And of course, realizing that Jesus is the seed of Abraham. In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Well, who is that fulfilled? And I want you to know that was fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ because that good news of great joy, which was for all people, that was for all the families of the earth. All the families of the earth can get in on this. This is not just for, for you and you and you, but you, yeah, you, you have your own ways and you have your own ideas and that's fine. No, 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 there ain't nothing about that. God said, this is for everybody. This is for everybody. This is the fix for everybody's problem. No matter where you come from, no matter who you are, no matter what side of the tracks you've been born on or what side of the tracks you're living on now. And I want to read this to you. This is just so wonderful. Out of Revelation chapter 7 and and, and verse 9, the the writer says this, I beheld and a great multitude that no man could number of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues who stood before the throne and before the lamb clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. Oh, come on. I want you to realize this, that this God, who loved us so much, he came to earth, died for us, saved us, went back to his father, is seated on his right hand, praying for us this very day. This very God, the Lord Jesus Christ, think about this picture that you've got people from every background, every skin color, every tribe and, and race and nation and tongue, all together. Because they all had the same fix. They all had the same problem. And the same solution was available. The same blood of Jesus that saved me, saved everybody else who needed it and who received it, whether they look like me or don't look like me. Hallelujah. Because the message of Christmas, like I said, let us know that we're all people with the same problem and that Jesus has that solution for everybody. Jesus is God's gift to everybody hallelujah so can you help me get a picture of heaven today hey Gary can you help me out for a minute what's up my brother hey just stand right here now don't we look alike come on 
listen, we're, 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 we're handsome in our own way. <laughs> Patricia, help me out. Come on, stand right up here. Look at me. Didn't I just get more beautiful? <laughs> I want you to realize this is what heaven looks like. This is what heaven looks like. And I want you to know nobody else has the solution. But the church does. And if the church would stand up and take their place. And if the church would be the church and be who God called them to be. I want you to know that. Mankind would be a whole lot better off for listening to us because we know what to do. We got solutions because we understand this, that we're here tonight and we're all here for the same reason. Patricia, you and Gary and I are here for the same reason because we were lost. We needed a savior and the very same savior that saved you saved me. The very same savior that saved you saved me. We had the same problem, and now we got the same solution. We got the same Savior. And his love is now shed abroad in our hearts. So we got the same love for one another. We have the solution to the world. And how did it get started? How did it get started? It got started because God so loved us that he sent his only begotten son. Thank you all. Hallelujah. All right. So that's the bottom line. Where did he come from? He came from the Father. He came from his dwelling of, of eternity past. Who did he become? God became a man. Why is what I believe about him so important? Because it is the difference between eternal life and eternal damnation. Why did he come? He came to save you. He came to give you life and life more abundantly. And who's he coming for? He's coming for everybody. Not everybody's going to receive him. Many will reject him. But who did he come for? He came for everybody. Who was the good news for? It was for everybody. And I want you to know that this very night, the same good news is for everybody. 